the chief is here now. There's uh, no cause for alarm. It's going to work out. It's, uh, it's okay, gang. Yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, I've been getting uh, uh, I've been getting a lot of of uh, letters from people uh, on two subjects. And before we get started tonight, I want you to get out your tape recorder because we're going to do something that's going to that's going to necessitate. Actually, we got have gotten a lot of letters on three subjects recently. Uh, one of them is my television show. I've been getting letters recently and from people about it as to when it is on. Uh, all I can say, it's, a, it's on in different uh, times in different parts of the country. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, uh, a lot of the stations put it on at, uh, you know, at a different time than, say, a town 50 miles away. But in the case, it's on 280 stations, for those of you who are curious about the statistics. And... Uh, Locally here in New York, it's on, uh, I believe, uh, Saturday night. They also repeat it on Monday night. And it's also on Channel 31, which is out on the island. I've never seen Channel 31. Do you ever see Channel 31? And uh, you'll have to look in the TV guide as to when that is. Now, there's another question, too. And uh, the question is that uh, a lot of people have been writing me because they read ads in the Times, New York Times, about my novel, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. It's just recently been reissued, and I don't have the time to answer all the letters from people who apparently have been having trouble getting it in their bookstores. Uh, all I can say is that uh, you can ask for it at your bookstore and tell them it's a Dolphin edition, which is part of uh, Doubleday, and uh, tell them it's a Dolphin paperback edition. And if they can't get it, tell them to call their double-day salesman. They'll get it from them. That's all I can say. I would like to tell you more. It's also, naturally, it's available in most big-town uh, bookstores. But if you live in a small town where they only carry Snoopy T-shirts in the bookstore and uh, you know, birthday cards, which is what's happened to many bookstores, uh, you tell them it's a dolphin edition, okay? Now, the third thing, and here we're getting to the, to the subject of tonight's thing. Uh, about two weeks ago, maybe three, I did something on the show which got a tremendous amount of mail, and people said they wish there was a recording around available of it. And so if you have a tape recorder, I'm going to do it again tonight, just for that specific reason. And now it's time. All set now? Get your tape recorders going. And uh, I'll give you a little preface before we get it going. And that is this, that uh, <laughs> one of one of our listener types, his, uh, his mother was over in... Uh, in England here a few months back, and uh, she's walking around the old book stalls uh, that they have in town. Uh, you know, there's a whole section of uh, London. It's nothing but old books. In fact, we got it here. You ever get out on, uh, on Fourth Avenue down there? It's a fantastic place. I'll tell you, I really dig it. To me, that's one of the great parts of New York. Uh, if, if you've never done it, it's, uh, it's down around, uh, let's see, Fourth Avenue, down around, uh, oh, about 14th Street in that area down there. Uh, there's, uh, in fact, you can even buy books by the pound down there. there millions of books. One one guy has a big sign on the front there. It says one million seven hundred and twenty-two thousand nine hundred and forty-eight books, guaranteed here. And uh, I guess yeah. And and, it, and he has a sign inside that says, if you can prove that he doesn't have that many books by counting them, he'll give you any book in the house free. Of course, the most expensive book in the house is twelve cents, so it's not much of an offer. But. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, this guy's uh, mother, she was walking around the bookstores, and she 
she came across this 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 book. It's a little tiny thin book, and uh, and it's got an interesting history. For those of you who don't know it, I'll tell you that this history is this: that back around the turn of the century, there were, of course, this was the time. Uh, when, when theater was all live, there was no such thing as, as movies, really. Uh, movies were just very, very uh, a faint glow on the horizon. And, uh, and so people got their entertainment by going to the local opera house, or the local, uh, what later turned into the theater, really, but it was the local opera house. And what happened at the opera house? Well, they usually had the, that. Sometimes they had opera. You know, opera would travel around the country. And they also had, among other things, they had all kinds of people who entertained in different ways. Uh, live entertainment, of course. It was vaudeville. But it wasn't really vaudeville as it, as it came to be known, mostly dancers and singers and stuff. There were, there were a group of entertainers that, that, that did what uh, could be called humorous monologues, and they became famous for one monologue. They would tell one story. It would be like the forerunner to the stand-up comic uh, who uh, you know has the material? He stand, does his twenty minutes in the in the Thunderbird or uh, whatever it is, the, the club, the Hi Hat Club in Rushville, Indiana. Does his twenty minutes between the marimba band and the rock group, and uh, does his stories. Well, in those days, a guy would become world famous for one story, uh, and uh, among uh, others who did this was Will, Will Rogers was one of those guys. He would uh, get up on the stage and he would uh, mess around with his rope and. And uh, they always did it in costume. He would he would come out, you know, and he would do his rope trick, and uh, he would make comments on the news, and that was Will Rogers' bit. And there were all kinds of, of famous guys who, incidentally, also affected the writers of that day. In fact, George Ade, who became a very fine uh, humorist and, and a world-renowned comic writer, was influenced by two famous uh, people who worked the stage. He would go down and see him all the time, and they influenced his whole writing. Well, there was one guy there uh, who was famous about that time who did this monologue, which I'll read to you tonight. And he became world famous. And this, this, and it's still around in book form, a little tiny, thin book. And uh, give, me, give me a little bucolic music to set the mood there, will you, Nick, please? Yeah, that's, that's kind of bucolic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this spy's mother picked this up in a bookstall in London. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find it here today in, in America, even though he was an American comic, who later, by the way, after he was very famous in vaudeville, used to do a feature piece in thousands of newspapers all across the country, a little piece like Dear Abby, but it was like the funny saying of the day. I'll tell you his name later. Now, his little thin book, and this, this is the way it opened up on the stage. He would come shuffling out on the stage, uh, dressed in costume, the guy who wrote this thing and who performed it. And, of course, he used, he used an authentic dialogue, a dialect of the day. He came out with an old straw hat, and he would sit on a box and cross his feet and light up a pipe, and he had this old straw hat on, and he would start to talk to the audience. And the audience loved them. Uh, every place he went, they would they would wait to hear the opening lines. And the band would play down in the pit. They would play, had his own theme song. And the crowd would cheer. The curtain would go up, 
And there he would be sitting right in the middle of the stage with the spotlight on him. And the backdrop had a, a country scene. You could see a couple of silos, a couple of pigs wallowing in the mud on the backdrop behind him. And he would start to talk. He'd say, you know, you've heard a lot of prating and a prattling about how this is being the age of specialization. You heard about that, no doubt. Well, I'm a carpenter by trade. And at one time, I could have built a house, a barn, a church, or a chicken coop. But you know what? I seen the need of a specialist in my line, so I studied her. I got her. <laughs> She's mine. Gentlemen, you are face-to-face -face with the champion privy builder of Sangamon County. Now, it didn't come about accidental. I'm going to tell you how it happened. Luke Harkins was my first customer. He heard about me specializing, and he decided to take a chance. Well, he called me, and I went over to see him, and I built for him just the average eight-family three-holer. And I want to tell you, with that job alone, with that job, my reputation was made. And since then, I have devoted all of my time and all of my, all of my thought to that special line. I've studied it. Of course, when business is slack, I, lo I do a little bit of paper hanging on the side, but let's face it, my heart, my heart is in privy building. And when I finish a job, I ain't through. I give all my customers six months privy service free, gratis. Now, I explained this to Luke. And one day he calls me up and he says, Lem, I wish you'd come out. I'm having privy trouble. So I gets in my car and I drives out to Luke's place. And I hid behind them Baldwins where I could get a good view of the situation. Well, it was right in the middle of haying time. And them hired hands was going in there and staying anywheres from 40 minutes to an hour. Now, you think of that in the privy. Well, I says, Luke, you sure have got privy trouble. So I takes out my kit of tools, and I goes in to examine the structure. Well, the first thing I does, I looks at the catalog hanging there, thinking it might be that. But it wasn't even from a recognized house. Then I look at the seats proper, and then I see right away what the trouble was. I had made them holes too darn comfortable. So I takes out my scroll saw, and I cuts them hard, square, with hard edges. Then I goes back, and I takes up position as before. Me here, the Baldwin's here, and the privy over there. And I watched them hired hands going in and out for nearly two hours, and not one of them stayed more than four minutes. <laughs> Luke, I says, I've solved her. That's what comes of being a specialist, gentlemen. Well, twarn't long... After I built that twin job for the schoolhouse, and then after that, the biggest plant up to date, an eight-holer, a beautiful eight-holer. Elmer Ridgeway was down, he looked it over, and he come to me one day and he says, Lem, I seen that eight-hole job you done down there at the corners. It sure is a dandy. And figuring as how I'm going to build on the old Robinson property, I thought I'd like to ask you to kind of estimate a job for me. Well, you come to the right man, Elmer, I says. I'll be out as soon as I get the roof on the two-seater I'm putting up for the sheriff. Well, a couple of days later, I drives out to Elmer's place, getting there about dinner time. I knocks a couple of times on the door, and I sees they got a lot of folks to dinner, so it's not the wishing to disturb them. I just sneaks around to the side door, and I yells in the window, Hey, Elmer, here I am. Where do you want that privy put? Well, Elmer comes out, and we get to talking about a good location. He was all for putting her right alongside a jagged path, running by a big northern spy tree. Well, I wouldn't do it, Elmer, I says. I wouldn't do it, and I'll tell you why. In the first place, 
Her being near a tree is bad. There ain't no sound in nature so disconcerting as the sound of apples dropping on the roof when you're concentrating. And then another thing. There's a crooked path running by that tree, and the soil there ain't adapted to absorbing moisture. During the rainy season, she's likely to be slippery. Now, you take your grandpappy. Going out there is about the only recreation he gets. It's about the only fun he gets out of life. Well, he's going to come out there some rainy night with his nighties flapping around his legs, and like as not, when you come out in the morning, you'll find him prone in the mud, or maybe skidded off one of them curves and wound up in the corn crib. No, sir. I said, no, sir. You put her in a straight line with the house. And if it's all the same to you, have her go past the woodpile. I'll tell you why. Now, you take a woman, for instance. Out she goes. On the way back, she'll gather five sticks of wood, and the average woman will make four or five trips a day. Now, there's 20 sticks in the wood box without any trouble. You put it past the woodpile, see? Now, on the other hand, you take a timid woman. If she sees any men folks around, she's too bashful to go direct out, so she'll go to the woodpile, pick up the wood, go back to the house, and watch her chance. Now, the average timid woman, especially a new hired girl, I'd known them to make as many as ten trips to the woodpile before she goes in, regardless. Now, on a good day, you'll have your wood box filled by noon. Now, right there's a saving of time. Now, about the digging of her, you can't be too careful about that. You just can't. I says, you dig her deep, you dig her wide. It's a mighty sight better to have a little privy over a big hole than a big privy over a little hole. Another thing. When you dig her deep, you've got her dug, and you ain't got that disconcerting thought stealing over you that sooner or later you're going to have to dig again. It just stands to reason. And when it comes to construction, now there's where I specialize. I says, I, now I want you to listen to me. Now, when it comes to construction, I can give you joists or beams. Now, you got the choice. Now, joists make a good job. Beams cost a bit more, but they're worth it. They is worth it. Beams, you might say, will last forever. Of course, I could give you Joyce, but you take your Aunt Emmy. Now, she ain't getting a mite lighter. Someday, she might be out there when them Joyce give away, and there she'd be. Catched. Just like that. Another thing you got to figure on, Elmer, I says, is that odd fellas picnic that comes around here in the fall. Them boys is going to get in there in fours and sixes, singing and drinking and the like, and I want to tell you there's nothing breaks up an odd fellas picnic quicker than a digging party. Beams, I say, every time, beams, and rest secure. And how about a roof, I said. How about a roof? I can give you a lean-to type or a pitch roof. Now, pitch roofs cost a bit more, but some of our best people has lean-tos. If it was for myself, I'd have a lean-to, and I'll tell you why. A lean-to has two less corners for the wasps to build the nests in. And on a hot August afternoon, there ain't nothing, nothing so disconcerting as a lot of wasps buzzing around while you're sitting there doing a little reading, figuring, or just thinking. And you know another thing I says... A lean-to gives you a high door. Now, you take that son of yours, shooting up like a weed. Don't any don't any of him seem to be turning under. Now, if he was trying to get under a pitch roof door, he'd crack his head any time. You take a lean-to, Elmer. They ain't stylish, but they're practical. They're what I'd put up. Now, let's talk about furnishings. Now, I can give you a nail or a hook for a catalog. Besides that, a box for the cobs. Now, you take your pa, for instance. He's of the old stool. Naturally, he'd prefer the box. So put them both in, I say. Elmer, it won't cost you a bit more for the box and keep peace in the family. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, I says. And as long as we're on furnishings, I'll tell you about a technical point that was put to me the other day. Good question. The question was this. What is the life, or how long will the average mail-order catalog last in just a plain, ordinary eight-family three-holder? 
Well, it stumped me for a spell. I thought about it. This being a reasonable question, I checked up, and I found that by placing the catalog in there, say, in, uh, well, let's say January, when you get your new one, you should be into the harness section by June. Of course, uh, that ain't that ain't through Apple time, not counting on too many city visitors either. And another thing, they, they've been putting so many of those stiff-colored sheets in the catalog here lately that it makes, makes it kind of hard to figure. You know, something ought to be done about this. And I've thought about taking it up with Mr. Sears Ruffer himself. They're ruining them catalogs for real good use. Now, as for the latch for her, I can give you a spool and a string or a hook and a nine. Now, you have your choice there. Now, the cost of a spool and string is practically nothing, but they ain't positive in action. If somebody comes out and starts rattling the door, either the spool or the string is apt to give way, and there you are. But with a hook and an eye, she's yours. You might say for the whole afternoon, if you're so minded, of course. But you put on that hook and eye of the best quality, because there ain't nothing, there just is nothing, that'll rack a man's nerves more to be sitting there pondering without a good, strong, substantial latch on the door. And he agreed with me. Now, I says, what about windows? Now, some want them, some don't. They ain't as popular as they used to be. Now, if it was me, Elmer, I'd say no windows, and I'll tell you why. Now, you take, take for instance, somebody coming out, maybe they're just in a hurry, or maybe they waited too long, if the door don't open right away and you won't answer them nine times out of ten, they'll go round and they'll go round again and they'll look in the window. And you don't get no privacy, the privacy you ought to have. Now, how about ventilators? On the designs I cut into doors, I can give you stars, diamonds, or crescents. That ain't much choice. All give good service. Now, a lot of people like stars because they throw a ragged shatter. They like that ragged shatter that comes in. Others like crescents because they're graceful and simple. Now, last year, we was cutting a lot of stars. You know, they're going out of style. But this year, people are kind of quieting down, and they're running more to crescents this year. I do cut some twining hearts now and then for young married couples and bunches of grapes for the newly rich. Now, these last two designs come under the head of novelties, a little more expensive, and I don't uh, very often suggest it. Actually, it takes a little more time, runs into money. Now, remember, Elmer, I wouldn't make no snap judgments on ventilators because they've got a lot to do with the beauty of the structure. And don't overdo it like Doc Turner did. Oh, he wanted stars and crescents, both, against my better judgment. And now he's sorry. Of course, it's too late, because when I cut them, they're cut. That's the way it is. And gentlemen, you can get mighty tired sitting there day after day looking at a ventilator that ain't to your liking. Now, I never use knotty timber, either. Very important point. All clean white pine. And I'll tell you why. Now, you take a knot hole. If it doesn't fall out, it will get pushed out. And if it comes in the door, nine times out of ten, it will be too high to sit there and look out, but just the right height for some snooper to seek around, peek in, and there you are, catched again. Now, I says, how do you want that door to swing? You want that door to swing open and in or out? He says he didn't know. So I says, it should open in. Now, this is the way it works out. You place yourself in there, okay? That door coming in, say, about 45 degree, it opens in. Now, this gives you air, lets the sun beat in. Now, if you hear somebody coming, you can give it a quick shove with your foot, and there you are. But if she swings out, where are you? You can't run the risk of having her open for air or sun, because if anyone comes, you can't, can't get up there off that seat, reach around and grab her without getting caught. How can you? He could see I was right. So, I built his door like all my doors, swinging in. And, of course, facing east to get the full benefit of the sun. And I tell you, gentlemen, there ain't nothing more restful than to get out there in the morning, comfortable seated with the door about three-fourths open. The old sun beating in on you sort of relaxes the body. 
makes you feel mighty, mighty restful. Now, I says, what about the paint nutter? What color? What color do you want her, Elmer? He says, red. Elmer, I says, I can paint her red. Red makes a beautiful job. Or I can paint her bright green or any one of a half dozen other colors. And they're all mighty pretty, but it ain't practical to use a single solid color. And I'll tell you why. She's too darn hard to see at night. You need a contrast, just like on them railroad crossing bars, you know, with all them white and black stripes. You can see them in the dark. Now, if I was you, I'd paint her a bright red with white trimmings, just like your barn. Then she'll match up nice in the daytime, and you can spot her easy at night when you ain't got much time to go scouting around. Yep, a lot of fine points to putting up a first-class privy that the average man just don't think about. It's no job for an amateur. You take my word on it. Now, there's a whole lot more to it than you can see by just taking a few squints at your neighbors. Well, one of the worst tragedies you heard about it around here in years was because old man Clark's boys thought they knowed something about this kind of work, and they didn't. They really didn't. Old man Clark, you know him. If he's a day, he's 97. Lives over there across the holler with the boys. Asked me to come over and estimate on their job. My price was too high, I said. So they decided to do it themselves. And that's where the trouble begun. I was doing a little paper hanging at the time for that widow that lives down past the old creamery. As I drive by, I could see the boys are working, of course. I didn't want to butt in. So I used to holler at them on the way by, and I'd say, you know, neighborly like something like this. Hey, boys, see you're doing a little building. You see, I didn't want to act like I was butting in on their work, but I knowed all the time they was going to have trouble with that privy. And they did. From all outside appearances, it was a regulation job. But not being experienced along this line, they didn't anchor her. Now, you see, I put a four-by-four that runs from the top right straight on down five foot into the ground. Now, that's why you never see any of my jobs upset on Halloween night. They might pull them out, but they'll never upset them. Now, here's what happened. They didn't anchor theirs, and they painted it solid red. Two bad mistakes. Well, Halloween night came along, darker than pitch. Old man Clark was out in there. Some of them devilish neighbor boys was out for no good, and they upset her with the old man in it. Of course, the old man got to call it, and his boys heard the noise. One of them says, what's the racket? Somebody must be in the chickens. So they took the lantern, started out to the chicken shed. They didn't find anything wrong there, of course. They started back to the house. Then they heard the dog bark, and one of his boys says, you know, it sounds like that barking is over towards the privy. It being painted red, they couldn't see she was upset, so they started over there. In the meantime, the old man had gotten so confused that he started to crawl out through the hole, yelling for help all the time. The boys recognized his voice and come running, but just as they got there, he lost his hold and in he fell. Well, after that, they just called. They didn't go near him. So you can see what a tragedy that was, and they tell me he has been practically ostracized from society ever since. Well... Time passed, and I finally got Elmer's job done. And gentlemen, everybody, everybody says that next to my eight-holder, it's the finest piece of construction work in the county. You know, you know, I tell you, sometimes when I get to feeling blue and thinking I hitched my wagon to the wrong star and maybe I should have took up chiropractic or veterinary, I just pack up the little woman and the kids in the back of the car and I start out aiming to fetch up at Elmer's place long about dusk. Well, when we gets to the top of the hill overlooking his place, you know where that hill is, we stops. I slips the gear in, in neutral, 
We just sit there, looking at that beautiful sight. There sits that privy, on that knoll near the woodpile, painted red and white, morning glories growing up over her, and Mr. Sun bathing her in a burst of yellow color as he drops back on them hills. You can hear the dog barking in the distance, bringing the cows up for milking, and the slow squeak of Elmer's windmill pumping away day after day, the same as me. As I look at that beautiful picture of my work, I'm proud. I heaves a sigh of satisfaction, my eyes fill up, and I says to myself, folks are right when they say that next to my eight-holer, that's the finest piece of construction work I ever done. It's beautiful. I know that at that point, I know I done right in specializing. I'm sitting on top of the world, and I hope that boy of mine who's grown up like a weed keeps up the good work when I'm gone. With one last look, one last long look, we pulls away. I slips my arm around the missus, and I says, Nora, Elmer don't have to worry. He's a boy that's got himself a privy. He's a boy that's got himself a privy. A mighty, mighty, pretty privy. A beautiful privy. <laughs> if you're curious, the uh, the uh, this little this is it. This is called the specialist, and it's a famous a famous American. Uh, well, it's, it's true Americana, really. And uh, the guy who uh, who performed it and wrote it was known on this on the stage as a Chick Sale. Chick Sale. Uh, actually, his uh, his real name was Charles Sale. And, uh, by the way, the woodcuts in this thing are done by, uh, by William Kermode. It's, a t- <laughs> you, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's true outhouse humor. But, uh, uh, I hope, I hope you realize that, uh, this is not done with the idea of bad taste. But, uh, in fact, the little preface in the book, it says, This little book concerns the professional activities of one Lem Putt, a specialist in the simpler forms of sanitary engineering. Written and delivered in Lem's vernacular, it takes the form of an explanation of his customers to one, of his methods to one of his customers. Lem is an artist in his own way, with a knowledge of human nature which enables him, in his constructions, to provide for its most delicate psychological as well as material needs. <laughs> his observations are shrewd and amusing, and uh, this is a, uh, this is the type of, of humor that, uh, and of course, uh, Chick Sale and and his his. Uh, his his takeoff on the specialist and the and the, and the uh, he was always billed as the specialist uh, when he would show up uh, would be simply the specialist would appear and uh, that was a great uh, vaudeville act at the time. Incidentally, when it was done, according to uh, contemporary accounts, uh, it was done with with, uh, with 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 props and the whole thing. In other words, he. He would, have, he would arrive on the stage. Here's a, here's a woodcut of the way he actually performed. You can see it there. He'd come out, and uh, the, the curtain would find him sitting there with his pipe going, and often uh, he, would, he would stop for a while. He, he was done very thoughtfully. So of course, uh, doing it on the radio, you can't really do that. But he would stop for a while, and he'd whittle. And then he'd come back and say, You know, another thing you got to think about, you got to think about the color. And he'd think about that, and he'd whittle a while. He says, Now, that's mighty important. If they have the color there. And it was it was it was almost like a one act play. And actually, it was done 
it would take about a half an hour to deliver. I, I did it much quicker, but since... Uh, you know, it would be kind of funny to do this thing in performance, uh, the way it was actually done, you know, with the hat and the whole bit. And he... Uh, he would he would stop and of course uh, you'd see around his feet uh, there'd be there'd be all the trappings of a guy sitting out uh, talking about his his work he, he sat on a box and there would be uh, you know apples and and the stuff he's obviously in a farm place some a farm lot and the backdrop was all painted specially for him you'd see the the fields and you'd see the silos and stuff and when he came out the uh, people people really uh, you know they, he became a beloved character as a matter of fact uh, Chick Sale according to uh, contemporary accounts again, uh, affected the delivery of a lot of people. Uh, he had he had a slow delivery, much more like this. I'll give you a little more of an idea of the way he talked the way than, than uh, what uh, I did at that in my reading. But his, his, he'd come out, he'd say, in a high voice, he'd say, you know, he'd look out the audience, you know, he'd look down at him, he'd pull his glasses off, he'd look and say, you know, you hear the preting and, and, and uh, a lot of talk about this age of specialization. Now, you heard of that, haven't you? And, of course, the people all nod. Yeah, they heard of it, see? He said, well, now, I'm a carpenter. I'm a carpenter by trade. You know, one time I could have built a house, a barn, or a church, or a chicken coop, but I seen the need early of specialization in my line, and I studied her. I got her. She's mine. Gentlemen... I want all you to listen now. You are face-to-face -face with the champion privy builder of Sagamon County. At that point, everybody would cheer. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, you know, uh, for, the, for all the people who requested that I do this again, that you came in on the middle of it or you missed it, uh, that's it. We will never do it again. Uh, it's The Specialist by Chick Sale, a great piece of Americana. You know, there's a lot of fantastic... Uh, American stage declamatory oratorical pieces. Boy, some night, uh, in fact, I'm going to do it again. Ah, uh, the Hellbound Train, which was a great one. The train that took the sinners to hell, complete with sound effects. And, uh, and you know who was stoking up the furnace in the front of that hell? The, the devil himself was shoveling in bones of evildoers to keep the fiery furnace in that train a moving. Yep, gentlemen, you're looking at the champion privy builder of Sagamon County. A champion. I'm a specialist. This is the Eastern Public Radio Network.